We have talked about the uh, element of solitude and our standing alone before God symbolized to us in the creation story where man at first is created as an individual alone before God, before there are any other persons, any other human beings, as uh, St. John Paul describes that and does an exegesis of Genesis in the theology of the body, and how that is perhaps saying something very fundamental about who we are, namely that what is most fundamental about human beings is our relationship with God. And we are, John Paul says, we are as human created in a relationship with God. It's not something that we have to, uh, that has to happen but it is something that is the very way we are created, that as human we stand before God. And obviously that is something that during our lives and during our spiritual lives as they unfold, that can develop and become a personal relationship, a relationship more fundamental even than the relationship with the woman who bore us in her womb even more fundamental than that. And I would say, I think John Paul, uh, this is at least in the spirit of John Paul, to say that the capacity for human relationships, this is not uh, uh, an abstract statement, this is incredibly concrete. Our capacity to form relationships with other human beings is based on the fact that we are created and born already in a fundamental relationship with God. That is what allows us to already begin in the womb to form a relationship with our mother, a relationship that, of course, changes and deepens incredibly by birth and extends out into other relationships as we grow, but always in the subconscious somewhere, even in those who do not acknowledge it, to be human is to be in relationship with God. And it can, of course, even be denied when we are old enough to work through these things in our own spiritual lives and in our own selves, there have obviously been many people who deny that there is a God, much less this fundamental relationship. We are left then with a humanity, our humanity with all the other capacities that we have, those capacities make no sense and become absurd if there is not, in fact, a fundamental relationship with God. I honestly believe that if every human person looked deep within himself or herself without already setting out with prejudice and denial, every individual would be able to know and to recognize 
that they are in a relationship with God who is hidden precisely because he is fundamentally different from all of the human relationships and other relationships we have. He is the very ground of the possibility of those relationships. And it is into this territory that we are entering when we deepen in our relationship with God. That original solitude can be experienced and developed if we are willing to develop an individual relationship with God. That is in the depths of ourselves, though obviously it gives meaning and makes sense out of our lives, out of everything we do. It is nourished by the sacraments, nourished by those who catechize us. All of the tradition that has been given us in the scriptures and in the church, all of those things open up something that God has already established within us. But when we go off into solitude, and even when we sit here as we have been doing so many hours during this retreat, and as we do regularly, even when we sit here all in this same chapel, but are not at the moment praying together or celebrating the Eucharist together, but when we are adoring the Blessed Sacrament, praying quietly together, we are all of us in uh, a relationship of, in which we enter into the solitude that we have with God. From that perspective, uh, the life of a hermit or the life of cloistered religious is not something out on the fringe, but something at the very heart of our humanity. It's not something unhuman to do. The seeking of solitude in a radical way as a hermit does or in a radical way as cloistered religious do, is not peripheral, but is central. And John Paul II, in uh, many of his writings, Vita Consecrata, other things, uh, Pope Francis touches upon this in some of his more recent uh, letters and writings for religious. Uh, the religious life is at the heart of the church, and John Paul says the contemplative life is the very heart of the church. And we can uh, liken the way that the, uh, the rib cage protects the heart uh, to the way that the cloister protects the contemplative and allows the very heart of the body of Christ, the very heart of the church, to be lived out in a life of contemplation. But all of us are called to a life of contemplation. Vatican II documents say that, Lumen Gentium, uh, talk about how the richness of the contemplative and mystical tradition is not only meant for a few, but is meant for the whole life of the church. I have suggested to you that individual personal prayer and moving into the solitude that that prayer involves, even when there might be a bunch of us in the cloister or a bunch of us in this chapel at the same time, 
who are praying individually. That is not peculiar prayer. That is fundamental prayer because it goes back to the very heart of our humanity and it goes back to that original solitude with which all of us stand before God. And again, at our death, we will uh, find ourselves certainly in that solitude uh, even as we surround ourselves with uh, other people we die alone and we stand before Christ alone. Uh, I have um, some directees that when we talk like that, they say, stop that, I don't want to think about that. And I think a lot of us have that uh, reaction. We don't want to think about the moment of our death and we don't want to think about the uh, aloneness and the solitude. And some people are terrified of it. Even priests and religious are sometimes terrified of solitude. And so uh, if we are in our room in the evening, uh, we have a tendency to find some way of entertaining ourselves. It's not the worst thing in the world, depending on the entertainment, obviously. But, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. But, you know, why is it that we always have to occupy ourselves and can't simply um, stand there in that original solitude and be naked before the Lord, to be exposed to the Lord? And again, we don't have to go off to Mount Alverno to do that. Uh, we, can, we don't have to do as Jesus did and go to some mountain somewhere, and we don't have to stay all night. But to do that in the way appropriate to our vocation, um, you know, shows its merit by what it does. You know, we can get very practical about this. Uh, the difference it makes in the spiritual life of an individual who simply takes time each day, perhaps an hour, uh, and who takes maybe a day, a month, or something like that, just to take a hermit day, uh, as it is um, commonly called. That can be, uh, again, disturbing, but we grow into it, and uh, we can really find uh, an incredibly deeper relationship with the Lord. It can be terrifying uh, for all the obvious reasons, because it is like, in a sense, facing our own death. It is uh, an experience of dying. And, but we're dying all the time, and we have said, following the words of Jesus, even that, you know, we must deny ourselves, we must die to ourselves. And that, in fact, is a process that involves, um, that involves really moving uh, away from the insulation and the support and sometimes the distraction that ordinary life has for us. So examine yourself um, on maybe two things. First of all, uh, we're all incredibly busy, and yet uh, what do we do when we actually have time on retreat? You've been at it five days. Um, you know, what do we do when we have time like this? 
have, you know, now, sleeping is, of course, a very, very good uh, and, and important part, resting and being renewed in that way. Um, but do we find ourselves, um, do we find ourselves, you know, sleeping too much or kind of escaping through sleep? Do we find ourselves, um, you know, resorting to technology or resorting to other things uh, as distractions? We surely read a lot, uh, but is the reading that we're doing uh, allowing space and leading us into quiet and solitude. And uh, we have enough uh, experience of what's been going on inside ourselves in these last four or five days uh, to examine whether we felt antsy or restless or uncomfortable in silence and in solitude. Uh, a religious should not, a Franciscan should not, feel uncomfortable in that. Uh, no matter, matter of fact, the more active we are, the more we need to be very certain to have that time really in each day, I suggested earlier, uh, with the holy hour. Now, during that time, um, again, like I said, it's easy to spend, even people who do hermit days uh, often spend more time, you know, getting their pillows arranged and packing and unpacking and cleaning the hermitage and, and uh, you know, doing things like that, uh, you know, that are sort of easy to do. You know, I think I'll go out and chop some wood, you know. Ordinarily, that would be the last thing I would want to do. But since it's the only thing I can think of here, I'll go out and do, maybe I'll rake some leaves. Why I'm raking leaves in the middle of the woods, I could never say, but I'll go rake some leaves. You know, anything but face God. And uh, we might ask ourselves, what kind of face do we think God has? Um, and that's exactly what happens when we pray like this, we come face to face with God as we are imagining him, as we have been uh, relating to him, and we get to look at him. Maybe we are afraid of him. Um, you know, the man who said, you know, the, the person I'm most afraid of is my own conscience. Uh, or people who, all of us are in this category, you know, when we are in an emotional state, we often revert to the God of our childhood. And when we have fallen into sin, suddenly it is, uh, you know, the punishing, unforgiving God uh, who wants his pound of flesh that we imagine him to be. So by going into... Uh, without all kinds of, you know, I like the way David fought Goliath. Leave the armor and all the other stuff there uh, that would insulate us and would protect us and just go in vulnerability to before God and sit there. Now, I don't mean to sound like I'm talking down to, uh, you know, venerable and veteran religious like yourselves because I know you have all developed very serious um, and very deep lives of prayer. 
but I have to remind myself and I uh, want to remind you that there is um, a tremendous growth that comes through this. Um, you know, often uh, directees will really balk at this. And I have had uh, seminarians go through much, many, you know, years of seminary and never quite get around to making a holy hour. You know, they just never do it, you know, and, uh, and all of our attempts to figure out why and, you know, uh, stuff like that, they just never get around to it. And then, then they get ordained and they wonder why the bottom's falling out. Uh, and they often come back and want to uh, have some help growing into a deeper life of prayer because they didn't really do it at the time. They were in the seminary. Um, and, uh, you know, even we as religious might uh, be embarrassed sometimes and feel that our own prayer life is more superficial than it should be. It is a purification, and who wants that? You know, don't we get enough purification as it is? And we're constantly being assessed in our jobs. You know, if you've been in academia or are in academia, you know, if I get evaluated one more time, you know, and the students feel even worse, you know, the seminarians, the worst person to be in the world is a seminarian. You get evaluated up one side and down the other. And then they evaluate the evaluations and they evaluate the evaluation process and we spend all summer trying to figure out how we can evaluate better. And, uh, you know, since I ran that kind of stuff for 12 years, I have no time for it. And, uh, but, you know, the point is that, you know, in, in all of that, um, you know, who wants more purification? But this is going back to the original solitude where we stand before God. And he reveals us to ourselves, which is one of the reasons we don't want to go there. And he reveals himself to us. That means that our relationship with God is really growing. And the way to enter into that is, you know, really uh, embarrassingly simple. You know, it simply means that we do what we set out to do uh, so many times when we pray for shorter periods of time. And that is that we simply place ourselves, uh, we, we become aware of the relationship we always already have with God. Prayer is not initiating a conversation with God. It is responding to the conversation God is having with us all the time. And uh, the very beautiful book of uh, uh, Cardinal Robert Seurat on the power of silence, if you uh, haven't read it, it would be an excellent book to read. And you know, he basically says that the language of God is silence. And that means that God doesn't ordinarily speak in human words. Uh, you can tell me whether the oft-attributed quote to St. Francis really is his, you know, preach the gospel always and when necessary use words. Did he actually say that? Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, if he didn't say it, he should have, you know. Uh, you know, preach the gospel always. Who did say it? We don't know. We don't know. Okay, well, I... 
another idol fallen off the pedestal. <laughs> but, you know, God is speaking always, and when necessary, he uses words. And he speaks in deeper, deeper ways. You know, uh, we often approach God in our prayers, simply saying prayers or fulfilling obligations, but that's exactly why in uh, solitude and in a holy hour, those kinds of prayers are left to the side. And we might start with a scripture quote, or we might start with uh, something that we're reading uh, for a few minutes just to get us started. But this isn't meditation. This is simply being there as vulnerably as possible in an intimate relationship with God and speaking to him from our hearts. Now, again, we can use formal prayers to start out with, prayers we've learned that are so beautiful, hymns we've learned, uh, all those things to start out with, but they they should really be just how we start out. The goal would be to begin to talk to him in our own words. And as we said about God, uh, we soon find that we talk to God by movements of our heart, not only by necessarily formulating words. The tendency uh, for someone who prays uh, like this, who is willing to sit vulnerably before God and wait for God and listen for what God stirs in our hearts, uh, the tendency for such a person is to have less, fewer and fewer words to say. Though at times we will have an upsurge in our heart and we want to say things in words, and that's excellent. But we should then always spend, in that hour, spend at least as much time listening as we do talking. You know, I think that's the meaning when Jesus uh, talks about the Pharisees going on and on with words. Don't pray with a bunch of words, blathering and so forth. And St. Benedict says the same thing. Get out of the oratory. Don't uh, stay there and think that you're praying just because you use a lot of words. Now, they're not telling you to get out of the oratory and don't pray. What they're saying is, you know, when St. Benedict says, stop using all those words, he is saying that in the context of a monastery in which silence is everywhere and in which in that silence prayer is going on or listening to God is going on all the time. St. Benedict, the first word uh, to the rule is Listen, listen, and that is the point, to develop a listening heart. You know, sometimes we wonder what, it, what in the world it could mean or what it would be like to uh, pray always, as St. Paul uh, talks to us about doing. Well, it obviously is when the Holy Spirit prays in us, and that is in words, if at all, or sounds, if at all, that are not particularly comprehensible, but it is movements of the heart. And at first, we will sit there feeling stalled 
and like we're wasting our time and everything else. You've had all these experiences, I know. But the thing is to stay there, to stay there. Not to decide, you know, of course, sitting there, you start thinking of everything you need to do, and it's very tempting to think you're wasting your time. You know, this isn't going anywhere, you know. And then we get up and leave and go do something productive, supposedly. Um, You know, and, you know, like anything we've ever tried to do, if we don't stay at it, it never develops. You know, if you, like I said, if you wanted to make a friend and you ran into that friend for five minutes every day and then went on your way again, chances are that relationship wouldn't become, uh, you know, very deep. We have to, uh, you know, invest in this relationship. And then it flows out into our daily lives. It isn't, it isn't an isolated, um, strange kind of a practice, but it transforms the rest of our lives. And that listening in our heart, for one thing, because we're practicing it for an hour every day, but for a more sublime reason, because the Lord rewards that. And the Lord takes that listening attitude and makes it a permanent disposition. And then we are attentive to the Lord in everything we do. And we've all been struggling all of our lives to do that. You know, we want to be, big thing these days is mindfulness, you know, which basically means focus. Focus on something, you know, pay attention, you know. Isn't it brand new to say that? You know, pay attention, pay attention, focus. Uh, That's something that we really need to say now because it is just the most unfocused, inattentive, uh, you know, kind of time. Uh, you've, you've noticed that in preaching, I'm sure. You know, you've got, I always say this about preaching. You've got about three minutes, you know. And if you're lucky, you'll hook them. That gives you about two more minutes, okay. And before you can see them, shutting off. And sometimes shutting down, you know. Um, the poor Benedictine sisters work very hard, but there are days then more of them are asleep than not. And that's pretty hard to preach to, you know, you're up there pouring, pouring out your heart and everybody's going down <laughs> for the third time. You know, but we do the same thing. When we go to pray, we find ourselves falling asleep. All we need to do, and we also find ourselves distracted, all we need to do is just come back up and focus again. That's why to be in front of the Blessed Sacrament, all I can say is it is a more powerful experience I'm preaching to the choir, you know that. If you pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament, it is simply a more powerful experience. And uh, then, you know, second most important thing, I think, is a crucifix. And those two together, you got it made. And all you do is focus on and open our heart. And that gives the opportunity to take everything inside of me, uh, particularly what may be going on spiritually or psychologically or emotionally, and take that and, and lead with that. My vulnerability, the struggles that are going on inside of me, 
I just take that out. I can talk about it a little bit, but primarily I need, or leave it in, but open myself up somehow so that all of that is exposed. If it's wounded, press it against Christ's wounds and just stay there, pressed against Christ, pressed against his wounds. And that's surely what Francis did. And, you know, simply to stay there and love, and love. And if I don't feel like love that day, you know, I may feel more like hate that day, well, make acts of love anyway. You know, love is fundamentally a little Mother Angelica daily uh, piece of advice that's on that calendar on the table there, you know. She says, love is not an emotion, you know, and I can almost hear her voice, you know, love is not an emotion, it is a decision, you know. Well, she's right. Love is fundamentally an act of the will. And so, with the will, even if the feelings aren't coming along for the ride, with the will, make an act of love. Make an act of focusing. If the distractions take me away, come back with an act of love. That means if you spend an hour and you are distracted 500 times in an hour, and I'm sure there are people who've exceeded that. Uh, I probably have. Uh, then you come back with an act of love. During that hour, you've made 500 acts of love, not too shabby, not too shabby. And if you're falling asleep, when you come to, uh, you know, you just sort of, boy, I'll tell you, isn't it true? You can sleep more deeply in a pew. <laughs> I swear to God, it's like the sleep God put Adam in when he took out the rib. <laughs> You know, it's just like the deepest sleep. But when you come to, when you come to, you simply make an act of love. And then you're right back down again. Come to with another act of love. And you don't have to do these motions so that if anybody else is in church, they won't think that you're either in ecstasy or in schizophrenia. Uh, you, know, you just simply, simply make an act of love. And listen. Receive whatever the Lord has to give. And that's basically the story. You know, you know all those books you have lined on your shelves teaching you how to pray? Well, really, uh, from my experience, this is all we need to know. And the Lord does the rest because, remember, prayer is not like, you know, God is this old man, you know, who's, who's like, half deaf and you know you kind of got to wake him up to pray you know you got to get his attention and, and, and dance around to keep it you know God is like this with us each one of us in a totally unique and individual and personal way and we are the ones walking around oblivious to that and missing out on the intimacy no wonder we're out of gas no wonder we get disillusioned. No wonder we can't bear the heat, of the heat of the day. No wonder we fall into the same sins over and over again. Because we are not deeply enough rooted in Christ. Uh, the very beautiful things St. Paul talks about, the very beautiful things St. John talks about, where did they get that? 
They got, that, they got those things from divine inspiration, of course, because it's sacred scripture. But they got those things because they were disposed to receive that. And if not, you know, we're always kind of, you know, trying to assemble crumbs and make a piece of bread out of it instead of being fed by Christ with uh, the fullness uh, of the daily bread that we need. So you know all that, and, uh, you know, it's only an attempt to uh, look at him and uh, ask ourselves, how did he get there? Well, he got there because he is a saint. Uh, but we know that uh, the same God who uh, stigmatized Francis is the God who loves us uh, just as much, loves us differently, but he loves each one of us infinitely. In that sense, he, he loves each one of us most. He loves each one of us the most. He loves each one of us infinitely. But at the same time, in a, in a radically individual way. And that is what we want to enter into and come to know. We'll certainly know it to the other side of death, but I honestly believe the task of this life is to enter as deeply into that now. And I kind of imagine that people who don't really attend to this and to enter into it, that's probably a big part of what purgatory is. You know, getting ready to come into the vision of God. And we are really called, especially as religious and priests, but all followers of Christ are really called to do that now. And as Jesus said in today's gospel, now is the time. Not later on when we retire, not later on when there are more hands to the plow, but now is the time for us to allow ourselves the inheritance of our vocation and of our baptism to enter more deeply into the relationship God has already assumed with us. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Francis, pray for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.